Hello, you're listening to the Thomson Reuters Legal Podcast in Asia and Emerging Markets. My name is Charlotte Saunders and I'm a UX researcher with the technology and development team at TR Legal. So we take a user-led approach to design and development at TR and my job involves working with real legal professionals to understand how they think and work today. We recently launched the new Westlaw. To make sure that we were building smart, accessible technology, we ran user research right throughout the duration of the project. And we also long-term design partnered with real lawyers and law firms to make sure that the voice of our user was heard at every stage of the development process. Our goal as a business is to build the right technology and to make the right business decisions. We think the new Westlaw is a game changer. And today, I'm here to talk to two of our design partners that helped us achieve this radically different product. We're going to talk about running a successful boutique law firm, the Nimble Way. We'll touch on what being nimble means as a law firm and how this style helps you achieve better outcomes for your clients. So it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Danny King of Danny King Legal. Danny founded her law firm in 2011, moving away from a career in top-tier firms to go out on her own. Since then, Danny King Legal has transformed from sole practitioner to an award-winning boutique employment firm in Sydney's CBD, known for both employer and executive representation. Danny, on behalf of Thomson Reuters and the entire New Westlaw team, welcome to the podcast. Awesome to be here. Thanks, Charlotte. Also joining us today is Mark Wilson, Principal of W Advisors. Like Danny, Mark also established his law firm in 2011. Mark has been involved in a number of notable and complex matters, spanning corporate, insolvency and dispute resolution for listed and private companies, high net worth business owners and investors, boards and key management. He's also joined by his associate, Albert Chung. Welcome to the program, Mark and Albert. Thanks, Charlotte, for inviting us. Thanks, Charlotte. So I want to start today by talking about what it takes to build a law firm from the ground up. Danny, we'll start with your experiences. What prompted you to leave large law firm life to start your own boutique firm from scratch? There was an intermediate step and I was in top tier law firms and I didn't really fit. It wasn't for me. And then I went into one of the first new law firms and I was there for 18 months and it was a bit of a, a good landing pad and a bit of a launch pad and they gave me a lot of skills and also the confidence to know what to do so that when they closed their doors, as these things tend to do from time to time, I thought I'll give it a crack. And so I started with a laptop on my couch and it wasn't anywhere near as hard as I thought it would be. And I'm very grateful for all the people that were there to, to support me emotionally because that was probably the hardest bit. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mark, was this a similar experience to you? It's interesting that you both started your firms in 2011 and it would be great to hear a little bit about what the legal market was like at the time and why you decided to go it alone as a law firm principal. That's interesting, Charlotte. I think in 2011, there are a lot of corporates and high net worth individuals that were looking to form new relationships with lawyers to get more value out of law. And so we had a, a bunch of corporates and high net worths that followed us and we haven't looked back. That's fantastic. And it's interesting to hear you both talk about the role that those relationships or that emotional connection plays in developing a new law firm like this. Can you talk a little bit more about that, maybe Danny, to start? Oh, look, relationships are everything. <laughs> you can't have uh, a good relationship with a staff member, then no one's going to be there to help you make money. And you can't do it all alone. Well, you can, but you're pretty limited to the kind of returns you're going to get if you're going to do it all alone. But it's not just your staff, it's your competitors. Most of our work is a referral source from our direct competitors. 
and that has evolved over time because you meet these people because you oppose them and then you form good relationships from that. And if you treat every single relationship as precious, then people like you more and you're more inclined to like them more and life is just happier. I think that's a really good point. Mark, when it comes to those high net worth businesses looking to you for support and guidance, was that built out of those relationships and what kind of role does trust play in that context? I've had the good fortune to act for a lot of high net worth clients and like large corporates, it's built on trust but it's also built on confidence that you're getting the right answer. In order to do that, you obviously need experience and you need good tools to make sure you're getting the right answer every time. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Bo. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the business of law and how the concept of nimble fits into this. Danny, would you describe your business model as nimble? And if so, how does this play out in your firm today? The model is nimble and that's the aim, but whether we actually get there or not is a work in progress. So we're always trying to do more with less. I think everybody does. And when you've got inputs and you're matching them with the resources that you need to make outputs, then you've got to make decisions on the fly and try and fit the pieces into the gaps. And so for me, being nimble means we've got the right amount of people to do the right amount of work and we're maximising our opportunity to make money without overworking our people and underservicing our clients. So we talk a lot about legal innovation here at TR and we think that our commitment to innovating the profession and what we do can be seen through programs like the Design Partnership. When it comes to innovation, Mark, how do you try and model this within your business? And as a side question, why did you opt to join us on this particular journey? We all know that that law is evolving and that um, clients face ever-changing regulatory environments and ever-changing technology challenges. So every industry has to take up technology to try to meet the challenge of keeping pace. Everyone in our business enjoys working on complex problems, but also enjoys cutting through. So for our IT, we look for assistance from our technology to cut through. Cut through to the answer, cut through to the result, cut through the process, get to the end for the client as quickly as we can. Awesome. Danny, similar kind of question. Is driving innovation, and I think what Mark has touched on is really interesting when we talk about efficiency as well, because that efficiency in getting to the answer and cutting through as quickly as possible benefits your clients as well, I imagine. So would you consider innovation in your firm, in Danny King Legal today, is that a priority? And how does that play out on the day-to-day perspective for your lawyers? It definitely is a priority, Charlotte. And I'm lucky enough that my business partner, Kevin Yee, he actually gets a lot of tech stuff. And I also have a body of amazing junior lawyers, paralegals, and people that are much younger with a a finger to the digital pulse. And they tend to understand a lot more about these things than I do. And so we've got a bit of a culture of continuous improvement that chips away at the common barriers that we come up against. And so if something is getting in the way of us leaving at five o'clock, which is our ultimate goal every single day, then we're going to try and find a tech solution to cut through that because it comes back to the point of needing to be matching the perfect level of resourcing with our service outputs and minimising waste and that benefits clients but it benefits our people which is our focus. So it's in some ways maybe about finding technology that suits people as much as the people need to suit the technology, is that correct? Technology only exists to serve people, I think except for AI, which scares me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be scared, join us. (laughs) The 
machines are coming. <laughs> so, Albert, Mark made some really interesting points about how W Advisors as a firm really uses and look towards technology to enhance the work that they do today and to help them drive faster and be really competitive in a changing market. And I think further to that, Danny's points about how technology is used to actually support the people doing the work in that firm is really compelling. In terms of that overall picture, as an associate, so somebody who does the work in the firm every single day, how do you see that commitment to innovation play out and how would you like it to develop in the future? I think there are some real-life examples that um, I can give. For example, Mark's recently made some uh, Mark's made decisions to actually invest in new hardware for, for the firm's staff so that we're able to actually uh, utilise the hardware more efficiently, um, more flexibly, so we can actually do our work where we need to be, including for some of our staff who might actually require the flexibility more than others. So, yeah, I think Mark's just conscious of the need to, to improve and to actually enable that. And it sounds like flexibility is a really key word when it, when it comes to the combination of people and technology. How do you see the best use of technology to support flexibility as an employee? I think part of it is mobility. So the reality is, you know, for example, you know, we make a lot of hullabaloo or we see a lot of media on, um, on cloud but in, in real practical terms, that actually means we're able to even do our work from home um, on days that we might actually need to stay stay home to take care of you know, personal affairs or even to take care of our loved ones. So I think that's just a very real practical example of how technology can assist flexibility. Hmm. Helping you do better work so you can spend more time to have a life. Essentially, yes. Awesome. So I'm going to ask Mark and Danny the same question. I'll start with Mark first, just because we've spoken to one of the younger lawyers in your firm just now. So Danny and Mark, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'll start with Mark first, because we just heard from one of the young lawyers in your firm today. If you had to give advice to your younger self, what would that be? And for the younger lawyers in your firm or in your network, what advice do you give them and what's your position on mentorship? The advice would be work smarter, not harder. I think at large firms, there's an element of face time that you need to maintain. We try and dispense with that and we even try and kick people out of the office uh, to make sure that they're getting a work-life balance. That's increasingly important across all industries, but we've, there's regulatory focus on the legal industry at the moment. So in terms of mentorship, um, we try and instill that. We try to have all our lawyers have someone mentoring them. We encourage our female lawyers to form relationships with um, seasoned business women as well so that they have a female mentor because I'm, I'm the sole male partner of the firm. And so um, working, working smarter and flexibly, have permission to have the day off. We, we gave Albert the day off on last Friday because we noticed he wasn't working flexibly. <laughs> so we said you need the day off. We all need to benefit from the technology dividend that our society is is getting and it shouldn't only be for, for some people. So, Danny, similar question. <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self today? How do you position yourself in terms of mentorship? And I think Mark raised an interesting point about gender in the legal professional environment. Um, does that play a role in your work today and your firm? Wow. Big one. Big one. Loaded triple barrel question. <laughs> 
So to my younger self Mm -hmm. in a top tier firm, Mm -hmm. I would say there is life outside of this place because I just didn't believe it. And it, it cost me a lot in therapy and relationships to make the call to get out. And I'm not, you know, people that know me know the firm, I'm not dissing the firm. It's a great firm. Uh, it's full of great people, but I'm not built to work very long hours doing the kind of tasks that I was expected to do as a junior lawyer. It just wasn't a good fit. And so to my younger self, I'd say, give it a crack. If you fall, you've got family, you can get back up again. Uh, with mentorship, I just think that's the best part of the job. We, I, I almost feel like we're a training ground for the top tier to steal our excellent junior lawyers uh, that seem to come in and do a couple of years and then go and earn a load more money than we can afford to pay them. So I think if you throw yourself into those kind of relationships with gay abandon and give generously, the universe gives back. And all of those people that go out into the broader world little ambassadors well they're not little the big strong knowledgeable ambassadors that are kicking ass all over the world and I'm so proud of them so I think mentorship you get a lot back from it it's not just this altruistic thing it's good for business and finally gender wow gender is a real thing uh it's very difficult to have a cogent discussion about gender in a very short period of time and it's also something that I find difficult in the context of male champions of change. That's been a real focus in my practice recently where I've had a number of very senior executive women at the top of their game nailing their performance and all of their co-curricula and just being incredible brand ambassadors for their employer. They'll experience quite a gendered response and when they raise it or I raise it on their behalf – you are met with stonewalling from the other side because, no, I couldn't possibly be involved in that kind of conduct because I'm a male champion of change for these sorts of things. I'm a giant in this industry. How very dare you? And so that barrier of self-awareness is is really tough when you've got these humans that are in a number of respects part of the solution and really caring about the fact that there is gender inequality and there's a gap in pay and all of that kind of stuff but it's it's becoming a bit of a shield to actually getting results and so I, I find the notion of gender is you know part of my bread and butter really difficult but you know as a woman uh, I've got kids I took maternity leave out of my own practice it ran without me which is awesome and I I'm not in a big firm I think primarily because I've made decisions that suit my lifestyle and my needs as a parent. Awesome. And thank you for answering it. It is a, it is a big question to ask in a short podcast, so I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time. I might kick the next one to Albert, actually, because both Danny and Mark have talked about their experience transitioning from that large law firm life to starting up their own business, whether that's because of fit, seeing an opportunity in the landscape, whatever that consists of. Albert, it appears to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you started your professional life primarily with W Advisors, so primarily in that boutique law space. Is that correct? And if so, what drove you to make that decision? I think that's a little bit of a difficult question for me to answer because, I've re- like you've observed, I really started my career with at, more, sorry, at W Advisors with Mark. The reason why I chose W Advisors and the reason why I've stuck with W Advisors is because 
um, from the get-go, from meeting Mark, I've actually really respected Mark as a lawyer. I've thought that he equally really respects his staff and has put a lot of emphasis in our development and even our personal lives. And I think to me that's critical um, in finding a, an employer and to, to, to stay with that employer. So a really critical point that I think all three of you have raised so far is that importance of work-life balance and how essential to a boutique law firm it is to make sure that your employees have the space to have a private life outside of their work. And from my understanding, that's quite different to how large law firms operate today as well. What do you see as the challenges to implementing that better work-life balance in your boutique firm? And what do you see as the advantages of it? Challenges are that you can't always control when the client needs something. If it's a court deadline or a deal is being done, you often can't control the timing, although you can actually do it a little more by um, managing the non-essential deliverables and making sure that client expectations are managed. So one of the things we do try to do with our lawyers is we, we monitor who is getting the benefit of flexible working and we, we even nominate people for flexible arrangements. So one of our staff members we noticed wasn't taking up flexible working. He's very committed to his job. So we actually sent him on a day off last week for which he was grateful. And so that's, we make sure that people share in the benefit of the technology dividend, essentially, that we all have from having technology available to release us from the burdens of admin associated with the job. And just to name and shame very quickly, that employee was, of course, Albert. (laughs) What about you, Albert? How do you experience that emphasis on work-life balance in your professional life? You're on the spot. (laughs) Go, go, go. The biggest advantage I think that I've had is we've all had those times where, you know, you can't make it to the post office before, you know, certain times or on, on weekends. And just having that time off, even on occasion, just gives you that extra time, that extra energy to actually attend to your personal affairs, which you kind of just let accumulate and pile up and never really get around to. And to have that extra day to just attend to those things can really make a big difference in in your personal life. And Danny, what about you? It really struck a chord with me earlier when you talked about the sacrifices made in, for example, your relationships when you were burdened by that large law lifestyle. It'd be great to hear about how you've rolled out work-life balance for your firm and where you see the advantages. Very selfishly. I did it because I wanted it. And so I made the firm and I took it. And so I enjoy putting the kids to bed and I will shamelessly walk out the door at five or sometime prior to five so that I can do that. If I can do it, I've got to make sure that everybody else can do it frequently as well. And it's part of the pitch of why you would come to a firm like mine instead of going into a different kind of path. We prioritise different things. That's part of the reason, I guess, why we're a great training ground for the junior lawyers in that it's only the the lawyers that really prioritise the career development and flexibility and the ability to to reliably have actual balance for those that are really driven by money or by the the kind of deal junkie big success stories of working in bigger things that bigger firms can get then it's not for them and it's not full for a long time but 
it still works in our model to have those brilliant resources there for the time that we've got them. They're like little supernovas. They come in, they shine bright, and then they go. And they shine bright elsewhere. It's fantastic. Yeah, the flexibility and the the balance is because that's what I crave and need. And so we make it a focus. We don't always succeed. And, you know, sometimes the work's on and it has to be prioritised because that's that's your job. Can I get a job at your firm, Danny? Sure can. (laughs) I pay you 50 grand a year. (laughs) Well, that's all right. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic to give lawyers the options. For example, we none of us work between Christmas and New Year's and no one takes annual leave off for that. We just all get it on full pay and that's because I hate working between Christmas and yeah, New Year's. it's the pits. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, at Thompson Reuters we really do have an emphasis on the human aspect of an organisation and I know that we try to embed that in our culture as well. And it's interesting to me that a previous Thompson Reuters employee actually recently started a Danny King Legal. I won't name and shame him in particular, but there's clearly some (laughs) overlap with the particular culture that they're seeking out there. So we'll move on to innovation. At TR, we're really committed to being a leader in the legal industry as it's changing really rapidly, as Mark mentioned, with the emergence of technologies like big data, analytics, artificial intelligence. So Mark, what would be your predictions for the future of the legal industry? And what do you think nimble law firms need to be prepared for or early adopters in? I think the development of precedents and smarter precedents so that documents are built by AI machines. I've always been sceptical about it, but I think AI is going to prove us wrong. Good lawyers look down at their nose at AI saying you can't possibly do what we do. I think they will eat into our market share for basic documents because at the end of the day when we build a shareholders agreement uh, we go through an algorithm that algorithm can be learned it can be put into machine code it will take a while but it could be done we could do it if we had the inclination and so I, I do think lawyers will need to distinguish themselves by being the knowledge masters for unusual or bespoke situations. I think that's a really interesting point, particularly because when we talk about enhancing technology, we don't talk about taking over your jobs and, you know, stealing your family and et cetera, et cetera. What we talk about is reducing the burden of those really foundational basic tasks that they are today, freeing you up to do that more complex work that in many respects your clients value more and can bring in higher value returns as well. Danny, do you have any particular thoughts on predictions for the legal industry and particularly in respect to advancements in technology and innovation? Look, the machines are coming. I don't understand them. <laughs> I I think that it's it's definitely a thing. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as bad as the, the Armageddon kind of movies that yeah. look at the machines getting into the system and killing us all. I think uh, certainly in employment law, and it's a, a very special area of law in a number of respects, but a lot of it is about emotions and helping people through what is some of the hardest time of their life to play a game, helping them game whatever situation that they're in. And the inputs for that are human and you've got to really carefully consider the strategy behind the decision makers and what we know about them and about the external forces, marry that all up with the cases and the the recent kind of decisions, what's the media going to be interested in, all of these facets that come in that I cannot see that there is an algorithm for. 
because ultimately the person sitting like I had this morning with his wife in my office, they needed me to give them a hug and I did. And then they hugged Cormac. <laughs> they even kissed him on the cheek. He's like, oh. <laughs> so I, I think as a service industry about providing humans with the connection and support that they need going through some of the really tough situations in life, that's, that's what we're there for. That's our special source. That's interesting, Danny. We also had a company director on the phone from New York this morning in tears mm. because she's facing court examinations for a company that failed. It's had press attention. And putting aside all of the technical issues she's facing, she's also facing just the agony of being associated with a company that's failed. And there were a good five minutes where she was just sobbing. And so AI will never be able to assist in helping her overcome and giving her comfort that, okay, we can prepare for this. Here's what we'll do. And uh, so she she changed lawyers last week. It's, it's a difficult matter. We see part of our role. It's not just to run through the rules or even just apply the rules. It's to help people. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's fascinating that what has been a discussion ostensibly about technology is in reality a discussion about humans. It's yourselves, it's the people in your firms, it's the clients that you deal with. And that's very much the reason why we partner with actual humans such as yourselves to build our technology. We need to know that it's supporting you and not replacing you or getting in your way. Fundamentally, technology is there to support the people using it, as we've talked about, and to support you do better jobs and give you more opportunity to have that life outside of it as well. So Albert, out of everyone here today, you're the one as the end user that I've forced to run through the platform time and time again as we build it over the last 12 months or so. And your contributions have been invaluable. It helps us build a better technology and a more human technology. But it'd be really interesting to hear from your perspective what it's been like working with the new Westlaw and what your experience with it is like today. I think I'd like to start with actually going through the experience I had in the design process. I thought that it was actually very important and actually I really appreciated how, you know, I could actually see changes in, um, you know, the product that was being developed um, based on what I had to contribute or feedback that I was giving to the design team. I think that the product that I'm now seeing versus the product that I saw a year ago significantly improved. And um, I've actually really enjoyed working with Westlaw throughout this process. Awesome. Thank you so much. I thought that this was such a great opportunity for us as a firm to get stuck in with someone really big and meet some other people and, and really talk about things in a different way and apply your knowledge in a different way. And it just makes it much more interesting. So it's more about building community and relationships again. And we're chuffed to have been included. I think one of the things I've appreciated about Thomson Reuters' approach is twofold. Firstly, you've listened to us as your customers. Uh, an organisation of the size of Thomson Reuters would normally look to organisations of similar scale as their key demographics. You've listened to the boutiques and to sole practitioners, which is important because most lawyers that have practising certificates are in small firms. That comprises the majority of the profession. And with this tech engine, I feel that as boutiques, we've got Thomson Reuters' whole team standing behind our efforts to get to know the law, which is ever more complex, ever more difficult to navigate. 
various areas of law becoming more interdependent. So we need to be across them. And as a boutique, you need to do that more so than when you're in a large firm in a silo practice area. And so to be listened to, and as Albert said, for the product to develop in response to our expressions of needs and the flexibility that we've been seeking, we are, we're really grateful that you've taken the time to hear us and to be responsive. And we're really excited to see how that will mean that we will be able to practice with more confidence, knowing we've got the right result quickly. It's terrific. We're all used to Google search results. We've been frustrated with the competitors' products. We've brought those frustrations up and you've listened to us. And so for us, that's a great step forward for us in our practice. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So before we wrap up today, it'd be amazing to hear a couple of thoughts from both of you about what your experience with the new West Law and TR has been like on this journey. So thank you so much, Danny, Mark and Albert for coming in today. It's been amazing to talk about what it means to be a boutique law firm and how you adapt to a really rapidly changing legal environment. Because for Thomson Reuters, for us to make sure that we are market leaders in that environment and that we are supporting you, it's important that we listen to you. And we hope that we can continue working together and just want to say a very, very special thank you and a big appreciation from everyone here for coming in today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Charlotte. That was awesome. It's always fun to join in. Thank you, Charlotte. And Danny, it's nice to hear the experiences of your firm as well. Yeah, it's been awesome to get to know more about you. And Albert. Thank you, Charlotte. It's a pleasure to be here.